Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome to Socks on Tap. Tony, I, my first reaction is just, fuck yes, let's go. Socks versus Detroit. That's, that's where it all starts. It all starts taking care of business in-house in the Central Division. That's right, I'm a meatball. You gotta bring that top button swag, baby. It is always great to beat the Cubs. And I'm a homer, so I always say they're gonna. Dallas Keiko Lansing got some beards that you should be afraid of. What everybody said when he gets out there, it's me versus the other guy, and I'm gonna beat him. So I just love that mentality. It's cool and fucking tough. Steve, Steve, would you say that Tony is mad online? I, I would definitely say that. The White Sox winner. White Sox fans, welcome in to Sunday Fun Day with Sox on Tap. We got another three-way action going on. Third time this week, boys. I love to see it. I'm Johnny Nani, Tony Marchese, NWI Steve joining me. Gentlemen, I think we got to be feeling pretty fine this fine Sunday Fun Day. We are feeling fine, Johnny. It's a White Sox winner, victory beers. We're heading on into the All-Star break. Let's break it down. Hey, yo, boys. Feeling real good. Anytime you can go into Minnesota, Take three out of four from those shit bags. Hey, that only calls for one thing. Crack them. Victory beers. Hell Let's yeah. We, we, we've Let's had three, three out of the four times uh, this weekend that we were able to do that. Obviously a big push, uh, something that we all think, you know, the White Sox needed, um, the, you know, just in terms of standings and you, you know, gained a game. To, uh, Steve, I know when we were talking after the uh, Friday night one, uh, your kind of commentary was that, you know, you can't finish the weekend worse than, you know, when you came in uh, and they improved on that. So that was good to see. And uh, they played go time baseball guys. They played cream, clean, crisp baseball and, they did the magical multi-home run strategy. So, Steve, hit me with the line. Listen, ball go far, team go far. Boys, let me ask you and, and the viewers a little question here. Um, so the Sox are 7-3 and three in their last 10 games. How many home runs would you think the Sox have hit in those seven games? What do you think, Anthony? Eh, about 14, 15 home runs. You would be correct when you say 14. By my math. That's that's 1.4 home runs per game. Ooh, that's a bold strategy. And and and, and let's see, seven wins. That I mean, that pencils out pretty well. It's almost like when you out homer your opponent, you win baseball games. It's truly amazing how that works. Weird. Who would have thought? Who would have thunk it? Wild, wild, wild strategy, guys. Yeah. No, as Steve asked that question, you know, uh, asking for the listener interaction here, we got our guy Sox insane. He had said 10 there. So he lowballed it. He lowballed it. It's 14. But to get in there, those comment sections like our guy Sox insane just was, uh, make sure you go and subscribe on Tap Sportsnet on YouTube. Click the little notification button so you know when we go live. And then when we are live, jump in that comment section. We can go and feature these, get some discussion going within this broadcast so gentlemen uh as we were talking about 11-0 victory to close out the series take three of four from the twins today absolute massacre it feels good beating the shit out of the twins it absolutely does feel good beating the shit out of the twins anything any opponent in the central division or any other uh, opponent that's a playoff team it feels good to beat the shit out of this was a very important series for the white Sox. our guy steve who's sitting right next to me here virtually has said this numerous times, and one thing that he said earlier this this season that really stuck out is that the White Sox have never made the playoffs after being down seven games in the division at any point in their history. Correct me if I'm wrong here, Steve, but the Sox were very dangerously close to that number. Numerous. Six and a half. Numerous times. 
And if they didn't come into this series and do what they did, there was a very, very high chance that they were going to be in that same territory at the end of this first half of the season. They showed up, and it feels fucking good to be talking about victories here this past weekend in Minnesota. We've had a lot of trials and tribulations here, but I just want to just to add on to Tony's comment here, and then we'll give the floor to Steve. But um, every game of the series was the most important game of the season, and they responded accordingly. I know they lost Saturday's game, um, but they still kept that reasonable. What That was an earlier in the season. That Saturday loss becomes a 12-2 sort of affair where it's not even close ever. They at least showed some fight in that one. And obviously the overall, taking three or four. So they responded when it counts. And that doesn't totally wipe out all the stuff that we're about to talk about uh, when we do a little first half review here. But it's a very, very encouraging sign doing against the team you're chasing uh, and answering the bell, I guess, is my sort of biggest takeaway from it. Steven, it's all you. That's been... <laughs> You know, really one of the things that I've tried to drive home over the last couple of weeks here, we talked about this pivotal 19-game stretch of all AL Central games coming up here, largely against Cleveland and Minnesota, the two teams that you are chasing. And this was really go time in a lot of ways. And this team did respond here. And and to do it in relatively convincing fashion this weekend was something that you really want to see. And a good friend of mine, and I, I know you guys all know Sam Mendelson, a bit big guy on, on Sox Twitter here. He put out a tweet earlier today that said, you love to curb stomp anybody, but when you do it to the Minnesota Twins, it just hits different. And it really does. Steve, I think we need to fire up, uh, go, uh, I need to dig back in the archives and find the picture of you uh, in front of the Kirby Bucket statue out there. I think that's in the works for later tonight on Socks on Tap social medias. I can supply that. No problem. <laughs> yeah, I think we need that. Yeah, it, it, I, I agree. It, it does feel good. I mean, we all know the the uh, um, level of hate that we have for the Minnesota Twins. It's a strong word, but let's go ahead and use it here because that's just what it is. Uh, Steve is a hashtag confirmed uh, AL Central Teams hater. Uh, oh, it's hashtag none, confirmed. None more, more so than uh, the Minnesota Twins. So, boys, it feels good. Uh, let's talk offense first here. Uh, a little bit of explosion uh, in this one. White Sox able to generate a rally. It wasn't, it wasn't, you know, the final score doesn't dictate how this game went early because Chris Archer was able to take advantage of the White Sox having a bad plate approach, but things turned in the top of the fifth inning, and tell me how this happened, Tony. Well, things turned in the top of the fifth inning, Johnny, because the White Sox offense, who I was I was hoping was going to make a, a, just an inning last longer than five minutes, uh, it felt like early on in this game. Uh, when you start scoring things called runs, Johnny, scoring things called runs, the plate approach actually to start that inning was a little bit horrific. You had two first pitch outs, and then – you started, what, taking walks, doing things, like letting Chris Archer get himself in trouble? It was fascinating to see how the plate approach just drastically changed right there in that inning. Uh, four straight balls uh, and then a 2-0 count to, I believe it was Adam Engel, when uh, there's a mound visit and all of a sudden Chris Archer starts to unravel. Steve, you've talked a lot about plate approach. I'll hand this one, uh, this question right on over to you. Did you expect this at all in this game? No, we, it, it just kind of looked like it was going to be a continuation of what we have seen for much of the first half guys, just going out there swinging and hacking at anything that makes it 60 feet, six inches on a fly. And then 
like that, poof, all of a sudden they flipped a switch that Sebi Zavala at bat, and then Adam Engel works himself into a 2 0 count. And then TA, same thing, you know, gets himself into, into a better hitter's count, laid off a couple of pitches to extend in a bat. It's amazing what can happen when you don't go up there and just swing for the purpose of swinging. It's almost like it is beneficial to your team and helps you in your quest to score these very valuable things known as runs. I, I've got, I, I, sorry, Tony, I just got a couple of, while we're on this, this whole plate approach. One, um, I do, you know, we, we, you had said it was unexpected that you didn't expect them to. Well, uh, you know, let's give credit where it's due in them finally adjusting it. Granted, it took, you know, about halfway through the game here as we're talking about. So credit to the White Sox for adjusting. But Steve, I think there's another factor, maybe someone on a certain social media website that may have driven this um, the White Sox sort of spark in the fifth inning. Can you tell us about that? Johnny, I, I, why, why don't you go ahead and, and tell that little tale there? Yeah, so that was, I mean, you, you were the one that pointed it out to me, Steve, but it was uh, uh, Theodore, uh, you know, Twins Ted uh, up there, you know, saying about uh, Chris Harger, re- re- really, what was he, sailing by, uh, sailing through? The cruising yeah, was cruising, the word that was cruising used. Cruising was what, what, what he used, and, uh, you know, that, that's about as good as Bob Nightingale reporting a transaction if we're only for the opposite to happen. Uh, that's exactly uh, what happened in this game. Tony, you talked about the plate approach turning there. Uh, hey, I want to give a shout out to Sebi Zavala because obviously in this one, you know, this ends up being a blowout here, but he was the one that got it started with that walk, be able to extend that inning. White Sox doing some uh, two out rally there. Remember back field of dreams game. Everyone remembers the Tim Anderson home run. Mm-hmm. Guess oh, who got yeah. that thing going? That was a Sebi Zavala. Sebi Zavala. So, and it's, it's hilarious that you mentioned that because as I'm sitting next to Anthony, I turned to him at one point and as Sebi fought off a couple of tough pitches. I said, just get a walk, find a way to get on. So TA can walk this shit off. Yeah. And look what happened. Yeah. That's Voila. Actually, that's actually, Voila, but that's it, absolute it, facts. It's like, that did happen. I was yeah, there. It's just something that I want to highlight because obviously there are plenty of more highlights, highlight real stuff when we're talking about this game and you go and look back and you're looking at MLB, uh, you know.com tomorrow or later tonight and looking at the highlights and you want to see all the home runs and that's all great and wonderful. We'll get to those in a second there, but shout out Sebi Zavala. All right. Let's get into some of those. Obviously, you uh, you had mentioned Tim Anderson getting himself into that hitter's count. Uh, 2-0 uh, makes it with his R- two RBI single. Andrew Vaughn brings home two more with his RBI double. Uh, and then White Sox seventh inning. Absolutely poured on, boys. Three home runs in one inning. What is this sorcery? Uh, we had him from Moncada. Two-run blast dead center. Vaughn out left. Harrison uh, also put one into the left field bleachers there. Um, excellent to see, especially Yohan Moncada. Let's talk about him heating up here a little bit. Anthony, go right ahead. I was just going to say it was really nice of uh, the Minnesota Twins to host a White Sox home run derby right before the All-Star break in that inning. Uh, It wound up being tied, but the back-to-backs were cool and tough from uh, Mr. Andrew Vaughn and Yohan Moncada. Let's talk about Moncada specifically. This is a player who's been up and down. He's had his question marks. He is the most debated player in White Sox social circles. Over and over again, it seems like there's a cycle of Johan Moncada right now. We are riding at the highest point, and we want to stay there. It's important. It's going to be very, very important over the second half of this season, especially with the injuries that have taken place up and down this roster, that Johan Moncada can be a guy that's going to carry this team if they want to be successful in the second half of the season. What a way to finish off your first half with that home run right there. Just very impressive at the plate of late. Um, he's kind of come around uh, after missing some time himself. 
Uh, and it's just been wonderful to see. It's been absolutely wonderful to see. And when he leaves the yard, is there anything prettier than Yoan Moncada going straight away center field and parking it out there in whatever kind of shrubbery that is that the Minnesota Twins are growing out there in center field? The guy that went out there to try and find the ball couldn't even fucking find it because it was mashed so damn hard. Uh, it probably went through whatever wall uh, is behind those bushes out there. But, Steve, I'll turn it over to you. I know Yo is your boy out there in northwest Indiana. You know, it's it's really fascinating that in the seventh inning, they found the launch codes and decided to finally deploy the multi-home run strategy. It was it was really a nice way to put this game on ice. And while we're talking about Yoan Mankata here, there's been a little bit of a running joke in some social circles on, on a site. I believe that John... Help me. Is it twatter.com? Yeah, is, I think that's a oh, okay, okay. for it. Yeah. The the joke kind of circulating right now. If we're gonna go tinfoil hat time here, I don't know if it's too early for that or not. Oh, never, but, never. But ever since he switched it up to his Latin king colors with his batting gloves and shoes, all of a sudden they, the hits have been coming. They do look very fly. I'll give him that. They, oh. It looks good. It looks good. I like those. I like I like the uh yellow. Uh, I think uh Benetti and Stone did one time said banana look to it, but it's clean. It's clean with the white socks, black and white color, especially yeah. when they wear black jerseys. I think it looks even better. Yeah, and, and look, if that's if that's what it's gonna take for him to get on track here, start providing some thump from the left-hand side of the plate. We've been talking about this all year. This team's need to have balance from the left side of the plate. And him and Yasmani Grandal, their struggles throughout the course of the first half, that's something I'm sure we're going to dig deeper yep. into later on here. Those two guys getting going, and Makata doing it here specifically um, over the last two weeks or so heading into the break, that leaves you feeling pretty positive as a Sox fan and observer, just knowing that everything that really could go wrong in the first half for him that kind of did. And now you see him maybe turning the page a little bit here. If he can continue this and start to provide again, some of that power from the left side of the plate, I'm not going to say I expect it to be what we saw through the entirety of the 2019 season, because we don't have the super bouncy ball, but if they get close to that, that's going to make this lineup a lot longer and a lot more dangerous. Right. A lot more on Yohan Mankata, another guy you mentioned there, Yaz, um, when we talk about second half X factors. But I just want to point out, Mankata also smoked another ball down the line. He almost hit it too hard for his own good because was for sure going to score a run, but then it bounces uh, over that wall down the right field line because uh, he hit it so hard and uh, it resulted in a ground rule double. But that was okay because he had guys pick him up behind him. So I'm uh, that's good to see from Yohan Mankata. Good signs there. Um, you got Adam Angle adding uh, the final cherry on top uh, with an RBI double in the top of the ninth inning. All right, that does it for the offense here. Let's go defense real quick because I'm sure we're going to have a little bit more extended conversation on um, um, one Mr. Dylan Cease uh, after this. But with the defense, uh, it showed up early. I know there were some errors late with some Lurie Garcia blunders, but at the same time, uh, you are in a blowout fashion sort of game and he moved from left field to shortstop there so let's focus on the good ones here guys the trifecta of diving catches in the outfield we actually had four total and Lurie Garcia recorded two of those Adam Engel started off in the first uh your boy your baby boy Gavin Cheats you got to be so proud uh he got in on that with a very nice one of his own out in right field Tony so um you also had to strike him out throw him out double play uh you know executed by Dylan Cease and then Sebi Zavala beautiful tag there at the bag I believe that was Tim Anderson uh applying it so Defense early in this one, when it counted, boys, when you needed to still keep it close there, um, showed up. So that's an encouraging sign as well, because we've had way too many blunders or stuff dropping uh, in front of us this year. 
Hey, Johnny, uh, Gavin Gold Glove Sheets has an excellent ring to it. Uh, you know, we've been working on our defense in the backyard uh, for quite a bit, been throwing some pop flies. Uh, we've been working on the dive, and uh, we saw that in play today. Uh, it's going to be a, a couple of days. I think we're going to hit the batting cages, uh, get that swing back because he's fallen off at the plate a little bit, but we're going to keep working on the defense uh, with Mr. Gavin. I am a proud pop of that catch was nice. Uh, you know, other than that, got to say, we've talked about this over and over again on the show. The White Sox best defensive outfield probably doesn't include guys like Gavin Sheets, Larry Garcia playing in the outfield. He's kind of on the on the on the fence of of that uh you know all defensive outfield here i know steve's a big proponent of playing your best defense in the outfield we also home runs too so there's got to be a balance here there has to be a balance here it's great on days like this where you can deploy an, a, an offensive guy like gavin sheets and you see him make a big play let's not get used to that all too too soon uh i know that the there are better strategies to deploy here but Flashing the leather all around is cool and tough. I think it was a great showing by the outfield today on a day where you kind of didn't expect it to be your best defensive outfield day. So let's take that as a win because we like things in the left-hand column. Steve, I'll turn it to you. Yeah, for a team that coming into today was ranked third in Major League Baseball in errors committed, which is not a great sign, for them to come out there and put together a solid defensive outing the way that they did is extremely encouraging. And to do it behind uh, Dylan Cease is pretty important. Now, obviously there weren't a lot of balls put in play, but when they were, they went out there and they did some things that we have not been accustomed to seeing this team do in the first half of this 2022 season. So hopefully that is a harbinger of things to come in the second half here. Hopefully the defense can be a lot tighter that it was in, in the first half here. Cause that's one of the things that really was detrimental in this team kind of being in the position that they are right now. Um, so Tony, like, like you talked about, you know, they didn't have kind of that a squad defense out there today, but they were able to make it work. And I'm old enough to remember a white Sox team that won a division title when their outfield consisted of the likes of the Carlos Quinton, the ghost of Ken Griffey, Jr. Nikki swish, Dwayne wise and Jermaine die who had no legs. So it can work. You just got to hit a lot of dingers. Yeah. Yeah. No, I like it. I'll keep mine short and sweet. It's very little league of this, but it shows a level of focus, right? And I think that hasn't been there all the way through the first half stretches of it at times, but now it speaks to the greater theme of them, you know, playing go time baseball, as we've liked to say on the show over the past few days. And then another thing is just picking your pitcher up and uh, pitchers appreciate that. And, and obviously uh, if you saw socks on tap on Twitter today, Adam Engel has now ascended the power rankings of pitcher best friend. He is now tied with the double play uh, for number one. So that's very nice. Big to see if, as sure. well. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, it was decided. So that's, that's just, I, I, I just tweeted it out, man. So, all right, let's move on. Dylan Cease, as I talk about picking up your pitcher. Well, Dylan Cease didn't need too, too much help because, uh, yeah, obviously we all know big topics surrounding him. All-star game snub. We all know that. You can go check out ontapsportsnet.com if you want to read more about the egregiousness of Dylan Cease's all-star game snub because it is rather egregious. But uh, what does he do in response to that? Seven inning, one hitter, um, strikes out eight, reaches a 500 uh, career strikeout mark. Boys, a lot to like from Dylan Cease today. So much to like from Dylan Cease, and I got a little bit of beer left to make it uh, one every 20 minutes on this show. So, uh, Steve, I'm going to toss it to you, and then I'll come back uh, for my Dylan Cease thoughts. You know, this was ace-level shit. 
they go, they have that performance yesterday. They, they lose a ball game earlier on in the season. That was the type of game that could lead into a spiral into a game like today. And this is where you need a guy to be a stopper. You need someone to step up, take the ball and say, I'm going to get boys, get on my back. Cause I'm going to shove Minnesota. I don't care who you got Buxton, Correa arise. I'm going to take out my shove it up your ass. And he did that today. He went out there. He was aggressive in counts early and often. He had a really good mix as far as what he was doing to attack twins hitters. He 11 first pitch fastballs out of the 23 hitters that he faced today. Um, then just varying it up between, uh, you know, he threw 10 sliders mixed in there after that. And then, Really putting guys away today, he was very breaking ball heavy. Six out of his eight strikeouts were on slider. So there was something in the game plan today that they said, this is how we're going to go about attacking these guys to put them away. The funny thing about it was he didn't even have the A-grade slider in this ballgame today. And that's one of the things that Stone was talking about was you could see a couple of occasions there. They were backing up on him a little bit, and he was getting strikes elevated in the strike zone here that weren't necessarily hard biting. So if he goes out there and he he can do that without the A-level stuff, that just shows you how nasty this guy can be and the run that he has been on for the last six weeks. Talk about that slider, Steve. That's That's been a recurring theme as of late, and I love it because – now, teams, after seeing that, you see, you know, all these punch outs, you know, how many of or out of how many uh, usually gets close to double digits usually. Um, and then it's always, you know, most majority uh, on sliders <laughs> as of late. Now they know that, but they can't even hit it because it's arguably the nastiest pitch in the game. I'm sure there's a couple others that are up there, but it, it that one needs to be near the top of those power rankings. Absolutely does. And guys, we're talking about a player today who just became the fastest White Sox player to 500 career strikeouts. Unseating Chris Sale, who held that record before him. That's fucking cool and tough, if you ask me. I mean, here's a guy that's got some lethal, lethal stuff in his arsenal. Johnny, your favorite pitch is the cease hammer. Now you're talking about this slider that's been working for him consistently throughout this year to put hitters away. He's got a high-powered fastball. The, the arsenal is going to play for time to come. And he's also a guy that knows how to hit his spots and work around people when he doesn't have his best stuff. What can't this kid do? We are long past the days where Dylan Cease was prone to the big inning. And every pitcher is to an extent, but for a long time, it felt like that's what Dylan Cease's just main issue was because the talent has always been there. As he's grown and matured, he is becoming an absolute ace for this White Sox staff. Now, I was looking at this today, just going back through some Dylan Cease stuff when I was writing up on ontapsportsnet.com about his 500th career strikeout. This is a Boris client. He's got the stuff. He's got the talent. This kid is going to get paid at some point. I think it's something that we need to start talking about comparatively to what we've talked about with Lucas Giolito for some time. But Dylan Cease has the makings. It's it's ridiculous. I don't even want to get into the all-star stuff here, but it's absolutely ridiculous. This kid is one of the top pitchers in the AL. He's an absolute treat to watch pitch. Just amazing stuff. It is absolutely incredible that the Chicago Cubs traded Jose Quintana 
for Dylan Cease. Yeah, we got a love a comment here from Soxside. Mike, he says, is Dylan Cease on his way uh, to be the best pitcher in White Sox history? Sure as shit feels like that when you go and watch him uh, out here. Obviously, ways to go uh, when you're talking about that in the history books. But um, I'd say stuff plays. Very common term when it comes to him. Absolutely. That's a yeah. great that's a great question from, from Soxside, Mike. I know we've got a couple other comments in here, some questions to get to that are more uh, of the second half of this show oriented. But uh, I want to just turn it back to you guys, Dylan Cease, is he going to be one of the best pitchers in White Sox history? I think that's an awesome question. You know, that's one that for me is a, a little tough. Um, just given what we saw from Christopher Allen sale, that that's a guy that's very near and dear to my heart. Um, just you look at the run and, and the consistency that he had from the time that he got into the starting rotation from 2012 until 2016. Um, you know, he set the franchise record for most double digit strikeout games and he did it relatively early on. So there is a little bit of an uphill uh, battle for Dylan Cease to fight in that regard there. But the stuff is obviously there now at this point, it's going to be a matter of can he sustain the longevity in the White Sox uniform to get to that level. Right, and I think a lot of that can go back to the contract too, uh, Tony, when you're talking about the Boris thing there, um, because we know the history uh, between those two sides. So it'll be interesting, yeah. I think the longevity um, has uh, a, a say in that. But um, like I said, stuff plays. Uh, two words that I love saying about Dylan Cease. Always has, always will. All right, let's close the book on Cease here uh, in this one. He finished seven innings pitch, one hit, no earned runs, two walks, eight strikeouts. Love to see it. White Sox, one hit, uh, complete effort. Um, so I know Joe Kelly did have a little bit of traffic on the bases, but none of that was via hit. So one hitting the Twins in the series finale. Uh, stomp them, 11-0. Cool and tough. Boys, I think that wraps up this game. Strong finish for our White Sox. But uh, let, let's think back on the first half here, some thoughts. Uh, let's I'm tell you this, and um give me your thoughts on it record 46 and 46 three games back of first place one game back of second place is this where you thought they'd be entering the season no absolutely not this is not where I thought the White Sox would be entering the season these are just my unfiltered thoughts on this and, and then we'll turn it over to Steve here the fact that the White Sox are 500 right now is an absolute disappointment the team has had injuries up and down its lineup things that uh, you thought after last year wouldn't happen, uh, given how difficult uh, it was to sustain success throughout the 2021 season. Uh, there was a lot of energy uh, surrounding this ball club leading up to the 2022 campaign. Uh, even with the lockout included, uh, a lot of people picked this team to be one of the top five teams that uh, were going to be in World Series contention. When you look around the league, Right now, uh, the AL Central looks like an absolute fucking joke uh, comparative to uh, what you see going on in, in pretty much almost every other division. There's no clear-cut uh, leader within the AL Central, and it was very much expected that the White Sox were going to be that team. Then again, all things considered, uh, just taking into account some of the injuries, some of the struggles, some of the slow starts – uh, the Dallas Keuchel experience, uh, and, and everything else uh, that the White Sox have had thrown at them through this, I'm pleasantly more surprised and just sort of comfortable with where this team is at right now, especially given uh, the way that they have played over the past couple of weeks here. 
and especially one thing that I want to put out there is against good playoff contending teams. Something that we saw last year a lot was, can the White Sox beat the good teams? They've fared pretty well against the, the teams that are expected to be in the playoffs this year. I don't have a record in front of me. If we, if we want to go look that up, Steve, uh, I'm not sure if you've got the chance to or not, but they've fared very well. Give in me a couple games. minutes. They've fared very well in ball games against the Yankees. You know, they've had their problems with Houston. Uh, but against the good teams, the White Sox have, have shown up. That leads me to some comfort in this White Sox second half, and especially the way that they came back and battled after dropping the first two against the Cleveland Guardians. And then coming out and having this series against the Minnesota Twins where you take 3-1 heading into the break to keep them fairly close to the top of this division, I think all things considered, I'm a pretty happy White Sox fan. Are we where I wanted to be? No, not by any means, not by any stretch of the imagination that I think we would be 500 going into the all-star break. But is this division winnable right now for this team? Absolutely. Can they go out and have an awesome second half? Absolutely. Are the right bats starting to heat up? I think so. I'm excited. This is the best I've felt about this team since probably somewhere in the first half of last year and the Field of Dreams game at this very moment right now. I'm pretty jacked up. I'm excited to watch the second half of White Sox baseball. Is there a lot to be disappointed about? Yeah. Did they underachieve? Yeah. But they've got a lot of baseball left to play, and I think they can go do it. Steve, I'll turn it over to you. You know, I'm definitely not um, thrilled with where this team is at. Right now, obviously being 46 and 46, this is not the first half that we all anticipated, like Anthony mentioned. Obviously, the injuries and the underperformance from a lot of the key contributors have led to this middling start. And it's been it's been a roller coaster ride, um, both on the field and emotionally for us watching and following this team on a day in and day out basis. For a good portion of this year, it felt like you take one step forward and then immediately take two steps back. Um, There was the high point of the seven-game winning streak in early May, and then they promptly would follow that up and they would drop four in a row. So it was just a lot of up and down from, from this team. And again, also seeing that from individual players and guys that we were expecting a lot from. We saw the slow start from Jose Abreu. He is turned it on to be performing like Jose Abreu. The down stretch for Lucas Giolito, um, you know, about, about a month or so ago. In spite of all of that, and with all of the injuries that have happened, really everything that could go wrong in the first half did. And they're 46 and 46. They're three games out of first. They're two back in the loss column. Minnesota and Cleveland, you might have done gone fucked up. You had a chance to put this team away. You know, about seven to 10 days ago, they were six and a half games out of first. They were knocking on death's door and you didn't have a chance. Minnesota, you had a chance to get that sweep on that Wednesday afternoon at 35th and Shields that would have basically buried and ended the season, in my personal opinion. And you didn't do it. You gave this team hope and you kept them in this thing. And it'd be a real shame if you had to fucking pay the price for that. 
be a real shame to go and read back uh, T- Teddy's tweets too uh, on that. It would be uh, oh, something, oh. something about the White Sox not being looked at as a contender. Oh, I don't know. Trust me, if if this thing goes down in the second half, Teddy better have that block button ready because I'm gonna have a field day with him. <laughs> I can't wait if the White Sox do. If the White Sox do win this division, I can't wait to take down a couple of uh, scrolls through a few different Twitter accounts. Yeah, looking forward to it, guys. I guess when I'm looking back at the first half here, uh, you talked about underperformance, especially from some of the key cogs. As a whole, though, this lineup was so much better than they showed. And granted, yes, injuries always had to be taken into account. Eloy was never given a chance, you know, just with the injury, never had a chance to really ever get going. Um, You've had other guys go down. Yaz was finally starting to look like showing signs of life, and then he goes down. Mancata had that, what, like five for six day, and then he goes down like right after that, talking about turning corners. Luckily, he's back now and swinging it but it'll be key and this will be a key that we're talking about for a second half but just getting the whole core so to say you always see those graphics from jake kuda you see him on the broadcast itself and how often have the white Sox actually had that core together when that's all together i want to see that clicking firing on all cylinders and that will be the key going forward in the first half they just did not have enough of that and granted there was some shitty weather at the start there were some shitty injuries you had the aj pollock starts the year off hot in this first, you know, game and then the first at bat, first two at bats of the second game, and then he goes down too. And we know he's a streaky player by nature. Uh, but it'd be interesting to just see what would have happened maybe without some of these injuries. But um, once again, that'd be playing hypothetical. So just looking back on it, they are much better than they performed as a whole. So I'm looking for them to overachieve in the second half after underachieving throughout the first half. All right, a few more topics here uh, from this one. The strong finish obviously offers hope. Uh, we just discussed um, how they were able to do that, take care of business in Minnesota, and during the end of the stretch that was all against the AL Central. But let's talk first half MVP. Who helped carry them through this thing? And I got, you know, uh, three names here that, that I could you could probably make a case for, uh, but I'd like to hear your guys' opinion on White Sox first half MVP 2022. You know, I've got a couple of names, and Johnny, obviously, uh, you've got the rundown here, but I haven't, I haven't actually looked at the names that you've written down. I think there's a couple of people who come to mind right off the bat. Uh, the first is Dylan Cease. I mean, he has just been every single time this kid's on the mound, uh, he's given his team a chance to win ball games. Um, it's been absolutely incredible to watch him pitch, and we've said enough about him on this show. Uh, second to that. Johnny Cueto has really come in and solidified a rotation that needed somebody to do exactly that. Uh, I don't think that there can be enough said about the job that Johnny Cueto has done. He's come in. He's been a professional. He's been a veteran in every sense of the word. Um, I go back to his dugout speech telling the team to hit home runs. Uh, We all know that that plays here. Uh, There was a stretch of baseball where our guy Jake Berger has carried this team. I know he's obviously dealing with uh, injuries right now and and trying to get back on a rehab assignment and hasn't been the full body of work. But I'd I'd like to say this. I I really can't pick a first half MVP, Johnny. I think the team itself on the offense and within the pitching staff have all shown enough streaks where if this was the final point in the season – I wouldn't be able to say that there's a clear-cut MVP. And I want to point back to something that we said on this show when things weren't going right. You need your leaders to step up. You need those guys to be those guys. Clear-cut MVPs of the team. The the Jose Abreu MVP shit. 
I haven't seen anybody on this roster outside of maybe Dylan Cease each and every time he comes out to the mound carrying that MVP shit swagger that I want to see. So I ain't given anybody MVP shit, but I'll probably grade the teamwork and picking up guys when they're down to keep this thing afloat. Probably a solid A minus at this point because there's been enough to keep us where we're at. This team could have been buried, as Steve said, numerous times. And certain members of the team have picked it up. I gave you my my couple of names, but I want a clear-cut winner at the end of this thing because I'm not happy with where it's at thus far. Steve, I'll turn it to you. Yeah, I don't think you can definitively say that there is one MVP per se. Um, So really, I think there's two guys for me that are – kind of the glue guys that that have helped to kind of keep things together through this tumultuous first half start that have been really, I would say steady. have had a couple of little dips here and there, but for the most part have been consistent on the offensive side of that. It would be Andrew Vaughn, a guy that again, in his second full year at the major league level has been probably the most consistent hitter in the White Sox lineup. He has not had the extreme peaks and valleys that we have seen from guys like Jose Abreu, Tim Anderson, and others. Um, you know, I'm old enough to remember when, you know, there were members of White Sox Twitter that wanted to see him traded for Sean Manaya or Frankie Montas this offseason. Can you imagine where this team would be if Andrew Vaughn wasn't in the lineup every day? That's a scary, yeah. scary proposition to think about. Um, on the pitching side of it, I, I've got to circle back to the guy I just wrote about a couple of days ago, Reynaldo Lopez. The the roles that he has been put in, the spots that Tony La Russa has put him in and allowed him to grow and to continue to develop in the bullpen as a significant weapon for this team. Those are the two guys that, for me, really stand out as key performers in the first half that have helped keep this thing afloat. Now it's time for the big boys to really step it up here over these last 70 games and push this thing to the finish line. Part of my favorite, my favorite, my favorite part exactly about this exercise is kind of the honorable mentions and the different names you can cycle through. I think all, all the people mentioned uh, here are all good. You can make an argument, right? When you're talking about importance to the team, um, I would probably lean towards Jose Abreu. I understand the, the early month stuff and the, the heats up with the weather thing can, you know, kind of be a cliche and drives people nuts. And I understand it because games in April matter just as much as games in September will. Right. Um, But when you talk about leadership and when this team really finally started to get going and granted, we're still waiting for a extended, extended stretch of it. But when you kind of felt the morale start to shift, it coincided with Jose Abreu going and being that guy and really being of the run producer that we know he is. So if I had to give an award here, I would probably lean in that direction. And then obviously Dylan Cease is a very easy one to do on the pitching side, just given uh, the wipeout stuff that he has uh, and the gaudy strikeout numbers. But I would also uh, include uh, Reynaldo Lopez in there because guess what? Part of, you know, a team and being the most valuable to your team is picking up where other guys leave off. Well, guess what? You don't have Garrett Crochet all year. Guess what? Liam Hendricks goes to the injured list uh, at one point here. Aaron Bummer, is he ever going to, you know, throw a baseball again? Who knows? Um, Reynaldo Lopez goes in, picks up that role, and I don't think Aaron Bummer is going to get his role back if Raylo keeps rolling like he is. So um, that, that's just where I would go uh, when you're talking pitching uh, offensive side. A lot, of, a lot of good arguments to be made there. But, um, Gentlemen, let's look ahead to the second half. Uh, hey, no, Johnny, no I just want to I want to comment on something that you said there 
Uh, and before that, I just wanted to say I'm still on my beer per 20. Promise that I made earlier. We're coming in here right around the 40-minute mark, beer per 20. We're on pace. Uh, Johnny, the only reason that I didn't say Jose Abreu is because of those early season struggles that seem to linger on a little bit longer than what they normally did uh, for him over the course of his career. I don't want to take away from the fact that Jose Abreu at one point during this season was just getting absolutely obliterated on the White Sox Twitter timeline day in, day out. I do agree with you when this thing turned around for the most part, and I know neither of you are going to say the word back yet. I know that for a fact. However, when this thing started to get a little bit better, it was Jose Abreu, and he's been there. You can point to certain things that he's done in the dugout as a leader, building himself a fort in Detroit, uh, which you know he owns, so he can do whatever kind of construction without permits that he wants to in Detroit. That's just knowledge. But he's starting to do that everywhere. You know, he owns Wrigley Field. He owns Comerica, Detroit, the whole area. He's starting to acquire a lot of real estate. I want to see him acquire more throughout the second half. That's why I didn't mention his name when you're talking about first half MVP. But I'm really sitting here right now thinking about Jose Abreu, what he means to this White Sox team. If I'm a White Sox fan, I'm laying in bed at night after I've consumed my victory beers, and I'm thinking about how important Jose Abreu is to this White Sox ball club. And I also know he's on the last year of his contract. This guy is going to have a fucking incredible second half. I know we're not at predictions yet, but he's playing for a contract right now, and you know it's that's fresh in his mind, and also getting this team to the playoffs is in his mind. He has done an absolutely fucking incredible job of being a leader for this White Sox team. You can see it in the emotion. You can see it when people were talking about a lackluster dugout. Jose Abreu sees that shit, and just like Josh Harrison, he doesn't fucking care. He's going to go out there and show it to you, and the results are starting to pay off, so I wanted to double down on that. Right. So you could go and look at numbers. You could talk about, you know, highest rated sort of uh, certain metrics that mean a lot in terms of F4, uh, weighted runs created, all that stuff. And Jose Abreu can take the cake in that. But for me, what really solidifies it for me is he is the everyday guy. And in a team that sometimes looks like they're made of porcelain, um, he is the everyday guy and he is always out there. I know even through the struggles that he had early uh, in the season, he was out there playing first base, wearing the, uh, you know, uh, the, the big uh, hooded mask and whatever uh, to just stay warm in the, you know, 30 degree April temperatures that we have to play. in. he was out there, he was grinding through it and he's a model of consistency for them. So the, from that aspect of it, combining that with uh, some of his numbers as of late uh, from his heat up. That's just why I would go there. All right. Last thing. I Johnny, I, Johnny, I want to, I want to, I want to expand on, on that point right there. Cause you yeah, bring up something very important. Yeah. We talk about on this show all the time. Availability is perhaps the most important ability. And one thing has been proven since 2014, since he put on a white Sox uniform is that Jose Abreu is available. Unless he's twisting his testicle. He is in the lineup every day. Mind you, this is a guy that ate a fake passport on an airplane to get into this country. So we talk a lot about this team, guys being made out of glass, needing to wrap them in tin foil all the time. Jose Abreu is a goddamn warrior. Do not forget that. Put some respect on that man's name 
because there's one thing you can count on as a White Sox fan is that Jose Abreu is going to show up. I'm going to double down on that, Steve. I I, I, I love that. I, 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 dude, man, that's just an incredible, incredible hashtag analysis of Jose Abreu. I just want to, I just want to know your guys' perspective on this. Can you teach toughness? Because it doesn't feel like you can. And Jose Abreu, as a leader, is is just he exemplifies toughness. When we talk about cool and tough, that back end right there, you may as well just replace it with a fucking picture of Jose Abreu. When you talk about Chicago tough, Jose Abreu's picture is right there in the dictionary next to it. I mean, it, you're not wrong. You're not wrong there. I just don't know if like he's just built from a different block man from everybody else students there every day it can't be overstated enough this is some like kale ribkin shit and you don't get that in in modern day major league baseball i'm just so impressed with how fucking tough jose abreu is it's awesome it's awesome guys i think that was a good discussion on uh first half mvps here we got a few honorable mentions from our guys and saying that we should bring up here uh tony had covered jake Berger a little bit but danny mendick that's also a good one big time step up when tim anderson went down with his extended injury there uh gavin sheets also providing oh. that pop from oh. the left side of the plate uh and kudos to him for going down to charlotte obviously working with tony in the backyard uh to really get that thing uh righted and then obviously came back uh, and jacked multiple home runs uh in you know within series and whatnot uh to you know ignite offense uh and you know really help the white Sox come back in some of those games i was at that sunday one at detroit big moment and gavin sheets went deep uh in that one so that that wraps up the first half guys let's move on to the second half and address immediate concerns here and immediate concerns i say is we need lance lynn and michael kopech to write the ship and we also have injury question marks surrounding uh luis robert Eloy jimenez and aaron bummer um let's talk about these topics first and i know we didn't do a show after saturday so maybe lance lynn is a good um topic to start on here and it's going to pain my heart but we need to discuss it because lance ain't right right now lance ain't right right now is is the perfect way to put it johnny this is a guy who has I mean, I hate to say this, really underperformed since signing an extension uh, with the Chicago White Sox. There's some stats that have floated around uh, Steve's favorite and most visited website uh, on uh, on the internets, uh, and it's so- somewhat concerning, uh, especially after all of the investigative research that ONTAP Sportsnet has poured into uh, trying to figure out why the White Sox traded Dane Dunning for Lance Lynn. Um, I'm just... Man, it pains me to say this. I don't want this storyline to continue because I'm a big Lance Lynn fan. I think he provides what the White Sox need in terms of veteran leadership that Dallas Keuchel really just blatantly fucking lacked in the White Sox clubhouse. He's got so much uh, pedigree behind him. Uh, you know, he, he's a guy that just he, he exudes – the fuck you attitude that this team needs to win ball games. What bothers me about Lance Lynn and watching Lance Lynn pitch of recently is that 92 mile an hour fastballs over the middle of the plate normally get fucking murdered. And I've seen far too many of them. I don't know if it's a, a lack of command. I don't know if it's a lack of uh, luck. I don't know what it is. But something isn't right with him, and there's been some injury concerns around it. Obviously, he missed the whole first half of the season, basically, 
uh, before returning to the rotation. So I don't know if that's kind of really been the main problem with Lance Lynn, but this isn't what we wanted to see from him uh, at all. There's so much like that rides on Lance Lynn starts. And, and, and we all know this as Sox fans because Jerry's mantra has been forever and always, I'm not going to spend big money on pitching. And to give him a three-year extension, I don't think was a small thing for Rick Hahn and company to have to go sell to Jerry Reinsdorf. But it just seems like they're almost snake bitten when it comes to stuff like this. There's got to be a guy out there that's going to eventually be the guy that the White Sox pay to pitch baseballs. Lance Lynn had a real chance to do that. And up until right now, it's been very fucking bad, guys. It's been very painful to see this develop. I think there's still time to right the ship, but I don't know if he's fully healthy. I don't know if he's the guy that's going to cruise down it for the rest of this season with the Chicago White Sox. I've kind of questioned this myself. Is there a need to go out and acquire another starting pitcher for this White Sox team to have a successful second half of 2022? And the biggest question mark that I have in the rotation right now outside of Michael Kopech is Lance Lynn, because I don't feel as confident as a White Sox fan riding into Lance Lynn day as I should right now. You can go point fingers back to not making a qualifying offer to Carlos Rodon that would have probably solved this problem. However, this is where we're at. As White Sox fans, you need a big second half from Lance Lynn or you need to do something to shore this up. It's kind of disheartening to say, but I'm, I'm just right now, I'm not as confident going into Lance Lynn day as I am with any other pitcher in this rotation. And I didn't think I would be here right now. So to piggyback off of that, if we, if we look at things from a 10,000 foot view in his first 16 starts with the Sox, Lance Lynn in 90.2 innings pitch had a 1.99 ERA and was averaging about five and two thirds innings pitched in the 19 starts. Since he signed his extension, he's thrown a hundred and a third innings pitch about five and a third per start to a five one one ERA. So the thing that is also very concerning here in particular this season, since he came off of the IL has been the home run ball. He gave up three of them yesterday against Minnesota. That has really been the Achilles heel for him in this 2022 season. Anthony, you talk about the decline in the velocity, um, Everybody, I don't know if everybody remembers this, but he had a knee issue going back to last year. And so that was right around the time that the extension actually took place. So we're about a year of the knee kind of being a little barky for Lance. And then obviously having to go and have it surgically repaired in March during spring training, um, very problematic for him here. So as a guy, as a veteran pitcher, that's 35, 36 years old, um, it is a little bit concerning. And then you see the decline in velocity here. It's something that you absolutely have to keep an eye on. A lot of people are are saying that really this is kind of his spring training still in a lot of ways. I think we need to get past that at this point. To Lance's credit, unlike Dickhead Dallas, he holds himself personally accountable. He doesn't go out there and he doesn't make excuses. He doesn't try to put it on his teammates. He quite literally for, says it's horseshit and yes, unacceptable. Yes, hey, exactly. and I will say it's 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 very fucking cool and tough to to hold yourself accountable here. This is a guy that's very easy to root for for White Sox fans, and I think that there's there's some admiration that needs to be said in that. But Simo, turn back to you. You're you're spot on there in that assessment, and that is why 
we are all big advocates of Lance Lynn on this show because he does hold himself accountable because he doesn't go and try to pass the buck out to somebody else like another bearded fuck who is no longer with this team that everybody knows I've got some strong thoughts on. At the end of the day, Lance needs to go out there and him and Ethan Katz need to get together here over the break, figure out what the issue is. I'm starting to wonder if it is a pitch mix issue here because he is so fastball reliant. Now, obviously, there are variations to that fastball. Being 92-93 with those fastballs, maybe that is part of the issue here. And, and perhaps it is time that they need to start incorporating in a curveball or a slider or some other type of, of breaking pitch with more regularity here to keep the hitters honest and, and to kind of tilt the scouting reports a little bit because everybody knows – you go up against Lance Lynn, you're going to see about 80% fastballs in some variety here. It might be time that now with this decline in velocity. And listen. Hey, Steve, might- I've, got a, I've got a random question to pop in here. Yeah. If you're Ethan Katz, is, is part of your strategy maybe to go in and tell Lance Lynn, hey, you're, you're hitting 92, 93. Let's drop that to 87, 89 and maybe fool some people here. I think that's that's something that you might have to look at a la Johnny Cueto. I talk a lot about some of the younger guys on this staff needing to watch and really observe Johnny Cueto, Dylan Cease, Michael Kopech, Lucas Giolito. They need to learn from him because this is a veteran guy who doesn't have the premium stuff anymore. Lance Lynn probably falls into that same boat. And you would think that those are two guys that have been through just about everything that you can go through in this game at the major league level here. So there's got to be some sort of adjustment made here going into the second half because they need Lance Lynn to be a reliable pitcher. They can't afford to have him going out there, giving up six earned runs in five innings and surrendering three home runs on a consistent basis because we've seen that far too often this year. So I'm not going to sit here and say that Lance Lynn is totally done here, but something has to change and something's got to change here quickly. Right, and I think uh, a break can do him some well in terms of getting the lag back under him because when I look at him, this is just me. I'm no expert. I'm not there talking to him after he has these innings like an Ethan Katz is. However, when I watch, when he lands, it was his front leg, right, that had this issue, I believe. When he goes and he lands, He's not pushing through his pitches as much as he would like. And I know some of that's generated from the back half too. But if you don't feel strong coming through that front leg, then it's not going to generate the same spin that you want. And in turn, he's going to have less movement. He relies on that cutter to have some movement when he has the variations of the fastball. It's never just something that's straight. And guess what? When he throws them just straight, they get hit out of the ballpark. So that's something that I would look for him uh, to. And maybe that's a tweak. If if the knee's not going to let him do that, then maybe it's something with the arm. Maybe it's something with the grip. Like you'd mentioned, Steve, Uh, maybe it's mixing in a, a different, like you said, a slider or a curveball or something like that, um, th- that could be the fix there. But that's what I look at when I look at Lance Lynn's issues right now, and it's not all there. But I do think some time off here could do him some good. Um, we'll see how that happens. And then I, I, I agree with you, Steve, we can move past the spring training start of it. But at the same time, when you just look at the timelines of all these guys, where they start, right, um, it, their season at, it is still kind of in a ramp-up period of sorts uh, when you're talking about that. And then going beyond the diamond, into his head, he's got the fucking wherewithal to know that, you know, like you said, he holds himself accountable, says it's horseshit, I can't have this. So if there's anybody that can will himself to do it, even if he's not feeling all the way there physically, I believe in Lance Lynn. That's so you're saying you believe Lance Lynn has 
TWTW. And he has guts and nuts, which he very much reminds everybody of after he has I'm, a big strikeout. I'm just so fucking sick of knee injuries. So sick of knee injuries. I, 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 if I was Rick Hahn right now, I'm I'm trying to go out and hire like five. I can donate two of them. I've never had any issues. So I can I've got knee two. issues. I would happily, if if I didn't have bad knees, I would go and give them to you know whoever needs them on the White Sox roster right now, just to make my life better. J- Jerry uh, would but, take them and give them to the Bulls for Alonzo. Yeah, that's <laughs> the problem. That's the problem. All the knee doctors that Jerry hired are. Uh, over overworking for the Chicago Bulls right now. That might be a tinfoil hat theory, but the White Sox need knee doctors too. Maybe what they should do is maybe they should switch their orthopedic practice from Midwest Orthopedics at Rush back to my guy, Dr. Narav Shah and his group down at Parkview Orthopedics, who friend of the show, friend of the show, very much so. So if you have not yet, folks, go to ontapsportsnet.com, go to your favorite streaming platform here and and podcast service listen to my one-on-one interview with dr narav shah where we will kind of break down some of the white Sox injury issues that they had in the first half right yeah very informative episode yeah i love to see that too um that that kind of covers lancelin there we can we've kind of uh touched on all the bases there so let's hope the big bastard uh you know channels his you know sort of TWTW uh into writing this ship here i think he will um, it won't be for lack of an effort um, if there are issues persisting through the second half. Um, let's talk Michael Kopech. Obviously, it got out a little bit of a start uh, on Friday night. And uh, we know, same thing, knee here, but not as uh, you know major. There was no surgery there. It was just fluid drain there. Uh, but this is another guy that you talk about this rotation. We'll get to you know possible trade deadline targets here uh, coming up. But um, regardless, you need Michael Kopech. Uh, to step up and be more of the pitcher that we saw in, in times in May and before that knee issue in early June and less like uh, the kind of last stretch of starts that he had. I just got to say, I'm, I'm coming up on, on my, uh, my next beer here, Johnny. I wasn't actually listening to what you were saying. I was just yeah, trying Michael to make Co- sure that I got this beer cracked before we hit the 60 we- minute mark. That was the most important thing for me. We I've need to. We're, we, we're three. We, we're almost two. Two minutes officially ahead. We, Michael Kopech. Yeah, we need. We need yes. the Michael Kopech. We need yeah, Michael Kopech. Another guy with a knee, right? right? Another guy with a knee. Let's get him out to Parkview Orthopedics, uh, Steve. Uh, and I want to say this: He's had a problem with the mound at home, especially throughout his career. Maybe we gotta get our our guide Narav Shah out there with Roger Botser to find the optimal landing place for Michael Kopech and do some work there. We'll see if we can help this White Sox team get through the second half of the season. Now, Michael Kopech is actually an interesting topic here. First year back in the rotation since before the the Tommy John, the sabbatical, everything. I'm actually kind of pleasantly surprised with how well Michael Kopech has done, despite what feels like him battling through something all year. Now, you want to see him have just an absolutely impressive second half, but if Michael Kopech is learning how to be in the rotation the same way that Dylan Cease had to go through his struggles, the same way Lucas Giolito had to go through his struggles, now obviously you want him to have it all together right now. But in terms of Michael Kopech's development, I'm kind of pleasantly surprised that he's working through challenges right now and getting himself to that point where he can potentially be a mainstay in a major league rotation. This is a guy that worked out of the bullpen last year, 
totally different role than what he's what he's held on to thus far this season. Obviously, the results aren't all pretty. But is this a guy who is 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 just learning right now? I know the development has lagged behind everybody else, but this is kind of a developmental year for Michael Kopech, at least in my opinion. So are they actually relying on him to get the job done every fifth day? Or is this White Sox organization kind of looking at him and saying, we need to see you get past certain humps so that next year is your go year? I know this is a team with World Series aspirations. I know this is a team that wants to compete in the playoffs. The results haven't been there. We talked about all this other stuff. But in terms of Michael Kopech development, I didn't think that this was going to be Michael Kopech ace year. I didn't think that this was going to be a year where he takes command of this rotation and does what he's fully capable of. Let's look back and and actually evaluate him from a a 10,000-foot view here. I think he's done an excellent job keeping his team in ballgames, battling through some stuff, working on getting himself stretched out to be an actual starter. I'm actually really happy with, with what he's done developmentally this year because I think it only bodes well for next year. I know that that's not something that we want to talk about right now as White Sox fans because we're focused on the right now, but I'm I'm pleasantly surprised and, and happy with him having to overcome adversity here because I think it sets up better for Michael Kopech long-term and the White Sox long-term. I know that's kind of outside the realm of what we're talking about second half, but that's just kind of how I'm evaluating this right now. You know, in a lot of ways, they're really trying to serve two masters with Michael Kopech this season, focusing on that developmental piece, getting him stretched out. He's already thrown more innings this year than he has ever thrown at the major league level. So there's that developmental aspect of it. And look, it's been talked about almost ad nauseum at this point here over the last month or so. He has hit a bit of a wall. We've seen him in his last couple of starts kind of go out there with less than his top end stuff and battle and fight his way through. And that is something that as a starting pitcher, you have to learn how to do that at the major league level. So he he's passing that test in that regard right there. Now, obviously this team does have higher aspirations and, and does have things that are of greater significance to the whole than Michael Kopech at the individual level here. So how they go about balancing that aspect of his development with their team and organizational aspirations is going to be very fascinating here in the second half. And hint, hint, you might see a little something on this very topic from a website called on later on this week and how they just might handle Michael Kopech coming out of the all-star break. So be on the lookout for that. All right. Interesting. Yeah. I just want to get your guys takes on that because um, while you said, I do agree that, that he has learned to battle through all that. I don't know if that fully suits him where he is in his career right now, just yet. Um, and I would just, I don't know. I would be disappointed if it came to a point where it's really noticing the dead arm here. If there is a period that hits that, like you'd mentioned with the innings count there, Steve, uh, and then you didn't do anything to help shore it up. Uh, and then you're left kind of kicking yourself. So 
that brings us to a topic of, you know, trade deadline needs here. Uh, let's talk. What do the White Sox need? Obviously, there is still a little bit of time with this deadline pushed back uh, into early August now instead of being on the last day of July. Uh, but what do you think the White Sox need here uh, to really propel themselves in the second half via the trade? You know, I'll, I'll credit to Tanner Banks for filling in for Garrett Crochet, but this team desperately needs a left-hand option coming out of the bullpen with late inning experience. I don't know that the market is going to be flush with these guys, but that is the number one thing that I'm trying to address with this ball club right now is just an option for Katz and La Russa to come in and, uh, you know, not have to walk a, a high wire act to get through things. Tanner Banks has done an excellent job filling that in. I think he's left the White Sox in a position where that they can go out and try and shore up the bullpen. Uh, that's that's number one thing I'm targeting. Uh, there was a lot of talk about second base earlier this season, especially with Josh Harrison's underperforming. We'll go out and say underperforming here because he largely has to what you would expect uh, at, at second base. Uh, but uh, I think that's a need. And then, you know, uh, outside of my baby boy, Gavin Sheets, this team really lacks some left-handed power. Um, I don't know if that's their number one need, uh, but I definitely put that on my wish list. And if we want to get greedy, uh, let's go back to that starting rotation. If you can find a starter uh, for cheap uh, that's going to be able to come in here and just give you innings down the stretch, I don't have to. it doesn't have to be a guy that's going to be on your playoff roster, but you can kind of pick and choose here. Somebody to help you in case one of these big arms in the rotation goes down. I think that they do lack that. Jimmy Lambert's kind of filled in, and so is Davis Martin from a uh, just get you some innings perspective. But if you can add another arm to this rotation at the deadline, I do think that you want to go out and do that. I mean, this feels like a Santa's wish list uh, that a five-year-old would write. However, you know, that you've got to go out and add to this ball club at this point in time. I don't see any reason to sell off pieces at all going into August. You've got about 15 days, and even if the White Sox play 500 baseball through then, this division is here for the taking right now, especially with what you saw for the White Sox uh, in this series against Minnesota and splitting with Cleveland. You can go out and make a run. You need a hot stretch to happen, and if you have to add to this ball club, the White Sox absolutely have to. Rick Hahn absolutely has to go out and, and do something to just put a shot in the arm of this team uh, that's going to help them down the stretch. This is probably the most important White Sox deadline that I've ever lived through, in my personal opinion. The cupboard's somewhat sort of bare. You've got guys in the system like Colson Montgomery who've been on base 50 games in a row. Do you make a move to go do uh, something crazy here at the deadline. I don't know, but the, the wish list is sort of long and the availability of, you know, guys that uh, other teams want isn't quite as long as you need to go shore up all of those different things. It's going to be a very interesting deadline for the White Sox. I would hate to be in Rick Hahn's position right now because there's a lot of hard choices, especially with all the glaring needs. Steve, I'll turn it over to you. Anthony, you nailed all of the key areas that I feel that this team needs to address when it comes to left-handed relief options in the bullpen. Um, I do think it is imperative for them to get a starting pitcher or at least a swing guy that you can 
you know, have start piggyback with Michael Kopech to help kind of take some of the load off of him in the second half, you know, and I think in a lot of ways, if you could find somebody from the left side to be able to do that, um, I haven't really dug deep into into who that potential option would be, but if you could get somebody to kind of fill or, or check off two of those boxes right there, that would be very beneficial for this team there. And I think having another left-handed bat in this lineup is really something that is imperative. Obviously, we talked earlier in the show about Yohan Mankata, and it looks as though he is starting to come out of the funk that he was in for the early part of his abbreviated season here. And we've talked about the ups and downs of Gavin Sheets and really the poor performance from Yasmani Grandal. So if you get Grandal and Mankata performing back to what we would expect from them, that certainly helps. But this team does still need more balance. They are still a bottom 10 team in the league when it comes to offensive production against right-handed pitching. That is something that has to be addressed because if this team is able to get into the postseason and if they want to make a run, a legitimate run in trying to win the American League pennant. You still got to go through Justin Verlander in Houston. Um, you got to go through that that staff. You're going to have to go up against Garrett Cole and some of the other guys on the Yankees right there. So getting more left-handed is going to be pretty important. Again, if you can find a guy that maybe could fill in multiple different spots across the diamond, second base, corner outfield position, killing two birds with one stone would be ideal. They don't have a lot of depth in the system. It is extremely shallow right now. So this is going to be really challenging for Rick Hahn, Kenny Williams, and for the analytics staff and, and the scouting staff, which, and let's be honest with ourselves here, they don't have a particularly great track record. So the level of confidence that is there is not overwhelmingly high, but those are definitely the areas of need that this team is going to need to address here in the second half. If they are going to make a serious run. Right. You guys covered all the needs. So I think uh, we'll move on and we will have, obviously there are, you know, a couple series here before you're really going to start to see trade stuff heat up. So let's see how those play out. Obviously we're going to have a few names that we're going to talk about here. I'll get back in the mix um, and we'll see how that plays out. And then as we approach closer, uh, we'll maybe dive into some specific uh, targets when the White Sox get back into action uh, as they head towards that uh, early August trade deadline date. So uh, talking about X factors for the second half year, Steve, I know the topic you wanted to cover um obviously we had talked you know about yohan mancata and him you know coming out of the funk that that i think will be huge seeing that continue but the other lefty there that we'd mentioned yasmani grandal um this to me i legitimately would just go ahead and label it my biggest x factor for the second half how about you guys i think that's that's absolutely the guy on the offensive side of it we've Spent a good portion of, of this show and over the last couple of weeks talking about this team's need to continue hitting home runs and to continue hitting for power. If they can get Yasmani Grandal healthy in the middle part of this lineup, being able to provide balance, being able to provide his patience and his plate discipline, but more importantly, the ability to drive the baseball that we saw in the second half, that is going to go a long way towards making this a much more consistent and viable offense. I wrote and, and we talked about this in our preseason prediction and in, in preview show that Johan Mancada was really kind of the X factor for me offensively over the course of the season. We're seeing some signs out of life from him thus far here. If he can continue that into the second half, that's going to be really big for this team. But Yasmani Grandal, getting that guy going here, 
being a presence in the middle part of the order, hitting behind the likes of Jose Abreu and Luis Robert and Andrew Vaughn, that's going to really help lengthen this lineup out and make them very dangerous. I'm going to have to go Tim Anderson, X-Factor for the second half of the season. It hasn't been the greatest first half for the Chicago White Sox all-star shortstop. I think he can do a lot more than what he's provided uh, thus far. When you talk about X-Factors, you talk about guys that get underneath other teams' skin. You talk about guys who really drive the offense. I want flashy. I want change the game shit. I think Tim Anderson has lacked a little bit of that so far in the first half of this season. I want to see him take over a series. When's the last time you talked about Tim Anderson taking over a series? I can't remember. I think it's time for that guy to step up and be an X factor the same way he was out in Iowa when Steve and I were there. You want to see that from him? I think he's due. He's absolutely due to just go on a monster tear the same way he has before. So if we're talking about X factors, I think it starts with the shortstop, the leader of the infield, and and somebody that just hasn't hit the ball for extra bases as much during the first half of this season. So I'm going Tim Anderson for my second half X factor. All right. Um, I would absolutely go with Yaz. I know Steve talked about a little bit of that there, but all I have to do to go and reason with this, go back and look at the shot in the arm that he gave the offense upon returning last year. He was arguably the most dangerous hitter in baseball in his period after coming back from leg surgery last year. Uh, when you go and look at some of those numbers in terms of weighted runs created, um, home runs, slugging percentage, all of that stuff, uh, he was a monster. And we need that from the left side of the plate especially, and obviously he can switch it up and do it righty there too. What's encouraging about this for me is he does look, to, you know, it, right before he went down, there was a stretch there. I think it was he had hits in seven of his eight previous games before going down, and two of those were multi-hit performances. Hell, even the game he left was a multi-hit performance. And granted, that wasn't the power that you want to see, but it was a sign of him starting to see the ball better. Um and that was obviously a very, very big point of contention earlier in the season. So uh, continuing that and building on his solid so far to date rehab assignment at both Birmingham and uh, Charlotte. I just think that's so huge, so huge for the White Sox in terms of uh, getting that extra pop. And guess what? Then that's something that can become contagious, too. It felt like the White Sox started mashing uh, when, when he was around. That's just how it felt last year. So I want to see that kind of a repeat, non-core performance of that uh, this year. A, a kind of honorable mention I'd give here uh, is Lucas Giolito. If he can kick it into high gear uh, and be his self that we know, uh, the dominant self uh, that he can be. Granted, he has had some nice starts of being able to um, bounce back from his really, really rough stretch uh, throughout you know early June. Um but if you can get the strikeout shit, you can get the whiffing stuff, combine that with Dylan C's at the top, White Sox rotation looks a lot scarier, and it also helps cover up uh, for some of those maybe question marks at the end there. Obviously a big one with Lance Lynn and a smaller one in terms of Michael Kopech there. So Lucas Giolito would be my kind of uh, um, honorable mention X factor there. All right, boys, there's an easy stretch of the schedule. I know it's not right off the bat coming up. They have the Guardians for uh, four at home. Uh, one of those rain out make up a little bit more on that Saturday coming up here in a second. But you got two at Colorado. After that, you got two at Colorado, three versus Oakland, three versus Kansas City, four at Texas, four at Kansas City, three versus Detroit, 
Sounds like an ideal time for some bum slaying, Steve. You know I love some high-quality bum slaying. If there was ever a time for this team to get hot, this would be the time. I wrote about this a couple of weeks ago. This team needs to start taking care of business at home. And this is a perfect opportunity to do it. Again, you're a game behind Cleveland for a second place. They're the first team you got to jump if you want to get back to the postseason here. Start it off next weekend. Set the tone for the second half. Go out there, take care of fucking business, and then carry that momentum into Colorado. Take care of Oakland. Take care of Kansas City. You got some weak sisters on the schedule. We talked a lot about this tough schedule that this team had in the first half, having to go through almost their entire schedule of the AL East and teams in the NL West and, you know, the Astros and, and, and a couple other ones mixed in there. You got through it and you survived. You got your nose bloodied a little bit, but you came out of it 500. We all said at the start of the season that after the all-star break was the time that if this team could stay afloat, given the injury issues, that this was the opportunity for them to turn it on. It is right in front of us now. The time is now. Take care of fucking business. I'm ready for a socks on tap bum sling tour, guys. Um, that's what I'm really looking forward to. I'm really looking forward to being out at a lot of these games with you guys, taking them in uh, and recording some ridiculous reaction videos after, you know, Gavin Sheets hits his fourth home run of the game, Tony. Um, I can't wait. I, I want to see that. I really want to see him pile it on. And I've been, you know, I've been harping on it. When When is there uh, going to be the statement, um, right? And granted, this would be against lesser opponents, but stringing together a winning streak, like seven, eight, nine, shit. Some of these, even other teams, they've had these stretches of what the Orioles won, you know, double digit games. Mariners are carrying a 14 gamer uh, into the All Star break. Where's that for our White Sox? That's what I want. And I really want to just see them go and dominate, bum slay over a multi week stretch. I think that would be cool and tough. It absolutely would be cool and tough. And I think the White Sox best baseball has not been played yet by any stretch of the imagination. You're you're gonna see this team rattle off, I don't know, seven to ten wins in a row over this stretch of baseball that you've got here. If, if they do, Anthony, well. Anthony, if they do that, there's a certain word that might get to be used. Well, you know, I've been very very positive about this team so far this year. I've I've been probably the most positive on this show, as deemed by some of our listeners. I might be comfortable using that word right now. I know you guys aren't. However, I'll I'll spare you. You don't you don't want to say it. Three members of the White Sox post game on NBC used it today. I think that that's fair. I think that there's people out here that do believe that this team can go and win a division. I'm one of them. I know you're you're still riding the hashtag. It's over. But it, it is what it is. I, I'm I'm very respectful of everybody else's there opinions. It just seems like right now, you, you guys were talking about this team getting hot. I think they're hot right now. I really do. I think they're hot right now. I think they've done some some really good shit over the past week here. This has been the most painful season. This White Sox team's a lot like my golf game, right? Like one day, the driver's working. 
And it, it that feels great, right? And you hit a great drive right in the center of the fairway, and then you know it's you're all over the fucking place, and you can't find the hole once you get to the green. There's other days where your short game's working. You can chip it up on the green right next to the pin and put it in, and things are great. Once you get the full thing working together, it's going to feel a whole lot different. And I think they're well on their path to do that. I've got like 30 seconds to finish this beers and then grab another one because I didn't realize we were going this right. long. So it, I'm going to toss it over to one of you. We, we've talked about that too a couple of times, putting together all aspects of the game. Another thing will be getting that whole core. We, I'd mentioned that earlier, but getting that whole core back together and all in the lineup at the same time will be paramount for this team's success or lack of success uh, in the second half if they are unable to do it or if the guys are, that are there um, go down with further ailments or just underperform straight up. So um, putting it all together, Tony, I think that's a good theme here uh, when we're talking about that. And then, like I said, taking advantage of the easier stretch of the schedule that you will have coming up here. So, And let's um, light off some goddamn fireworks at yeah. home for yes. fuck's sake. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've got to bring something up to you guys. I saw Friday nights are supposed to be White Sox firework nights. I saw at the end of September, they've replaced a Friday night firework show with a drone show. And I am really not sure how I feel about this. I don't want to be living in a world where when the White Sox hit a home run, Jerry sends up a bunch of drones that light up the sky. I don't feel that that's cool and tough. Is Jerry trying to replace the fireworks after the tweets that we sent out? Listen, if there's one thing the in this world that I'm, fireworks, if there's I'm, one I'm thing very concerned. I'm confident in it's that if Jerry Reisdorf can find a financial way to cut a corner, he'll do it. Well, he's already doing it. You've got a Friday night drone show, ladies and gentlemen, instead of a firework show. All right. Um, that brings us into uh, meatball takes for the second half. Uh, let's go. Let's roll with them. See if anybody's got anything spicy uh, in the jar today. I'll fire off the first one and maybe we can go a couple rounds on this, but NWI Steve will change hashtag it's over within the next month. Confirmed. That's a, that's a bold strategy. You think I'm going to let a good gimmick go to waste? Wait, that I, I, what, what's a gimmick? Never mind. Uh, <laughs> got him outing himself. Oh, shit. I just broke kayfabe. Fuck. <laughs> um, you know, if we're gonna, if we're gonna go meatball takes, Andrew Vaughn's gonna hit 15 home runs in the second half. All right. Love that one. All right. Yeah. I, I like that one. Um, Lance Lynn will bounce back and look like the old Lance Lynn. I like that one as well. Uh, I, I will go with this one. The White Sox will have a 10-game winning streak in the second I half. I love that one. That shouldn't, I hope that's not meatball. I got, I got one more for that. you oh, here. Yeah. And I, this, is, this might be the ultimate meatball take. Liam Hendricks is going to break Bobby Jenks' franchise record for consecutive batters retired, which Alex Colomay could never do. Ooh. Ooh. That's okay. spicy. That's spicy. I'm feeling that. I might need some heartburn medication. After hearing um, that one, Johnny got another one. Uh, Aaron Bummer will pick up a baseball again. That is one. even spicier. That is that is that <laughs> is very spicy. I, I I like that. I like that. Aaron Bummer will pick up a baseball again. Uh, boys, how about uh, Tanner Banks will pitch in a high leverage situation down the because the White Sox failed to acquire another left-handed pitcher. We are all going to be sitting there shitting our collective pants and Tanner Banks escape artist will pitch 
an inning in the playoffs. I know this isn't even sec- second half. An inning in the playoffs that's going to be absolutely incredible for the 2022 wow. Chicago White Sox. Not, now we're getting spicy. We're getting really spicy here. Um, yeah, that I mean that's scary to think about right off the bat. I, I got I got one for you here, and I don't know when um, this shithead's birthday is, but if it's at some point during the second half, Yoan Moncada will hit three home runs on Kenneth's birthday. Ooh, okay. I like that one. All right. I like that one a lot. We've got a we've got a comment from yeah. uh, from Brian, Johnny. You want to you want to pull that one up? Let's see. Uh, our guy, our video guy, Brian Lefevre. Uh, he says, I've got one. Andrew Vaughn, Eloy Jimenez, and Colson Montgomery are inclu- included in a trade for Juan Soto. Woo! Now we're getting real spicy. Heat levels through the roof here. I like it. Need a heat like check it. on that. Yeah, no, we, we need it. We need a heat monitor. Yeah, that that's in, that's incredible. Um, that, that, meatball takes. that would be the definition of some shit. I don't foresee it, but that's why these are meatball takes. These are supposed to be spicy here. Um, I'll go with Josh Harrison. We'll have a three home run game. Whew. Will Josh Harrison's agency then uh, tweet at me then? Yeah, probably. Yes. Things? Probably, but yes. yeah. Josh Harrison's agent regularly tunes into Socks on Tap. I mean, as he, as he should. Did anyone ever think Subby Zaval would have a three home run game? I mean, no, but I was there in person. Yeah. It was yeah, right. You saw it. You witnessed it. Crazy things have happened. These oh. eyes. I had, I had these shades on. No, these are supposed to be spicy. So I'll, I'll, go, I'll go with that one. I like that. How about this? How about this one? Our guy Jake Berger, aka Jake Trojan, will also have a three home run game. I like that. Here's a spicy one for you. Eli Jimenez will play 10 consecutive games. Oh, Ooh. might be the man. I, that might be the topper. Dude, That that's going to, in my opinion, that's probably going to have to come in the, what, late August to early September range. But Oof. that, yeah. Oof. All right. Uh, anything else here? I if think, not, I don't know if you can follow that up. Yeah, I don't think we can follow that up. All right, we, we've got a big announcement uh, to make here. Uh, as we said, the White Sox need to hashtag set the tone for the second half. We'll be doing our best to do it. Um, we're throwing a big tailgate, lot B, uh, on the day of the doubleheader. That will be Friday, excuse me, Saturday, July 23rd uh, against the Cleveland Guardians. It's a split doubleheader with that first game starting at 12-10, second one at 6-15. So we plan to be out there in the lot. 10 10 uh two hours before that uh first game of that and we'll be out there all damn day tailgating we'll go into the game enjoy that have a little uh maybe you know kegs and eggs sort of style uh you know food and uh beverage at the uh first portion of that come back out tailgate um maybe get some food in between there's pizzas we don't know uh see whatever comes our way there but gentlemen, it's going to be a big birthday celebration. Our guy, Sean Roberts, birthday on that day. So happy birthday, early birthday, Sean. We'll be celebrating it right there. Um, and then also our guy, Buzz, a couple days before that, uh, leading up to it. So um, big, big start to the second half here, boys. I'm excited to be out there crushing some beers and lot be with you guys. Absolutely. It's been too long since we've uh, all gotten to partake in a little bit of crack them and drink them and watch White Sox winning baseball. Let's hope we're coming home after that uh, extravagant day with two White Sox winners, and you never know. I mean, uh, you look at the standings right now. This is going to be a big day for White Sox baseball. Super excited to be out there with both of you fine gentlemen uh, drinking some beers and watching some White Sox baseball, not once, but twice on the same day. I'm sure the meatball takes will be flying by game two. 
Uh, make sure you find us in Lot B. Come have a beer. It's going to be a great time. I'm looking forward to having a couple, two, three dozen pops with, with you boys going out there celebrating. And let's just cap it all off by burying the Cleveland fucking Guardians. Because everybody knows I hate them sons of bitches with every fiber of my being. I want them done. I want them finished. Set the tone for the second half. Let's do this. Let's have a day. Yeah, right, right. You're talking about I, games I, where, where they could climb up uh, over them there when we're talking about where they are in the standings uh, right now. Just one game uh, behind Cleveland. Obviously, they open the second half with them there. Um, Tony, you got some? I've, I've got some uh, socks on tap history notes as we close down this show. Happy one year anniversary to us. This just absolutely demolishing Orbit and Lot B. Yep. Um, that was an absolutely fantastic time. Uh, we demolished Orbit in Lot B about a year ago uh, around this this time. I think we're, we're either on the day or within a day of that taking place. We're well, going to be out there. On, doing we're, on the, we're on the day. Are we on the day? We are, we are, on, the we are day. on the day. We are on the day that we demolished Orbit in Lot B. Uh, at this point, we were in the ballpark, but uh, close to it. Uh, we're going to be out there doing some of the same shenanigans this coming Saturday, and it's going to be a great time. I'm, I'm very much looking forward to it. Come out, join us. Let's have a let's let's have another day just like that. Yeah, I'll hit you with the details once again. That is Saturday, July 23rd, 10, 10 a.m. in Lot B. Uh, look for the uh, black on tap sports net flag, and that's where the party will be right underneath that. Uh, bring some beers if you feel so inclined. Uh, bring food if you want. Uh, we'll have some going on there, but uh, the more the merrier, as always, at these shindigs. So, gentlemen, final thoughts from this one, and then it's about time to get out of here from our all-star break special and maybe uh, recoup ourselves a little bit. Final thoughts. It's always excellent talking White Sox baseball with both of you fine gentlemen here on these airwaves. It's always good to close what is the worst week of of summer uh, with a a White Sox winner because I am going to be just absolutely missing White Sox baseball come Thursday. This is the hardest week to get through because you don't have your White Sox to watch. Don't know how to plan out the next few days. Yeah, Obviously going to take in some home run derby, probably watch some all-star game, but it's not the same. Yeah, this yeah. happens every year. Happens every single year. Maybe you get some house projects done. Maybe you catch up on some, some paperwork that's due. Maybe you check the mail for the first time in a week. Who knows what it is that you're going to do to pass the time. Some people have got grass to mow hang out with your kids. I don't know what people are going to do for a week, but this is, I have, I have no idea. We got to figure it out collectively. Maybe we'll get on a show just to talk about the white Sox. It's it's Wednesday, Thursday are the killer days for this because at least you have home run derby and then all-star game for as much of a, you know, you have your opinion on it either way, but it is baseball on the TV still, but there's none of it Wednesday, Thursday. So play MLB the show. I don't know what it is that we're going to do to pass the time. I'm super excited for Friday because we get to do another show. And then I'm even more excited for Saturday because we're going to get to watch two baseball games. Sometimes you got to pay a price. Enjoy the second half. I'm hoping that it's cinematic. I fully believe in my soul of souls that it will be. And thank you to everybody who's tuned into this show for the first half of the season. It's been painful. 
There's been times where we've been down and out. I want to talk about more White Sox winners and drink more victory beers every 20 minutes on this show throughout the second half of the year. That's all I've got, guys. Thank you for uh, hopping on here, hosting this show with me so many times throughout the first half of what's been a somewhat painful season. Here's to more time, uh, good times ahead, boys. Cheers. Crack them. Turn it over to both of you. My final thoughts are this. I talked about this earlier. Minnesota and Cleveland, you had a chance to bury the White Sox. You had a chance to do it throughout the entire first half. This week, you had the chance to drive the stake through the heart. The Sox answered the bell. They went five and three this past week against the two teams that they were chasing, winning five out of the last six to close out. Going up to Minnesota, winning a series, taking three out of four. We've talked several times about inflection points in this season. Is this finally the one that gets this team going on the right path to where we all assumed that they would be in late March, early April? Did the coffin just open, Steve? Listen, it's entirely possible that maybe, just maybe, there's an undertaker coming out of a flaming coffin gift to be used at some point in the very near future. I don't know. I can't predict that. But all I know is this. Those motherfuckers, they had a chance, and they didn't do it. And if you give a good team, and if the White Sox are as good as we all thought that they were going to be, you make them pay. And let me tell you something. Nothing in this world, and I mean nothing, will make me happier than seeing this team come back from the dead and beat and bury both of these assholes so I can go and destroy Theodore on Twitter.com because believe me, he's been running his mouth a lot. I've got a lot of tweets bookmarked. He's in for a lot of hell if this team pulls it off and it will be just too sweet. How do I even follow that up? That's awesome. We we had the comment in there from Sockside Mike. I love it. Steve's motivational speeches make me want to slam beers. Let's fucking go, he says. Yeah, same here, Steve. I love that. But how do I follow that up? I follow that up short and sweet. Um, It was, there are still certain thresholds the White Sox need to reach before the B word will come out of my mouth again. Okay, I think Steve's on that same train of thought here too. However, the White Sox played go time baseball to finish the first half strong in a very crucial stretch of games against the two teams that they are chasing. And that I can be proud of. And for that, I can have some confidence going into the second half. Speaking of the second half, Yasmani Grandal is your X factor. Look for an offensive explosion. We talked about hitting more home runs at 35th and shields. He will be the guy to do it and lead the charge in that department going forward the rest of the season. I got a headband that needs to be washed, a jersey that needs to be washed, and ready to be laid out on full display in Lot B for majority of the second half. I can't wait. Let's go, Yaz. Get back in here. And White Sox, keep on rolling. It was a good finish that first half. I enjoyed it. I think we all feel a lot better um, than we did three weeks ago at this point. So, listeners, thank you all for tuning in to Socks on Tap, this extended All-Star break special. Hope this tides you over while there is no baseball, uh, White Sox baseball, during uh, this four-day break. Um, 
Make sure you go and subscribe to us on YouTube so you can join the comments when we go live and have all these post-game shows uh, for hopefully exciting games down the second stretch of the season. That's on tap Sportsnet on YouTube, and then join the comment section whenever you see socks on tap go live and we'll feature them get some discussion going in here as always visit on for all your chicago sports literature and podcasting needs and you can follow us on social media at socks on tap at on tap sportsnet boys best of luck getting through next couple of days but before you know it we'll be right back here talking on the show and then meeting up in lot b that's all i've got for this one until next time white Sox forever white Sox forever Fuck the twins white Sox. For life.